Hello, and welcome to Macro Minutes. During each episode, we'll be joined by RBC Capital Markets experts to provide high-conviction insights on the latest developments in financial markets and the global economy. Please listen to the end of this recording for important disclosures. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Macro Minutes called Easing into Easing. I'm Jason Dahr, your host for today's call, which we're recording at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on February the 6th. The narrative from central banks has decidedly shifted from the risk of further tightening to signaling the next move will be lower. And to paraphrase the message that Powell gave us last week, uh, we have confidence and our confidence has increased that inflation will meet our objective, but we need more confidence before we start to cut. With central banks expecting a soft landing, they're gently easing into the easing cycle. So when will central banks have enough confidence to pull the trigger and where will policy rates ultimately land? Uh, to answer these questions and more, I'm joined today by Peter, Cahal, Blake, and Su Lin. I'm going to kick off the, the discussion today and mention the lay of the land for the Bank of Canada and touch on uh, two topics. First, the policy rate. The clear message from the Bank of Canada's last meeting was that they are more confident that policy is restrictive enough and that rates would likely be lower this year, but more time is needed to bring inflation down to 2%. Even with a weak growth trajectory, Core inflation and wage trends have been uh, stubbornly high and argue for patience. It has long been our belief that the Bank of Canada should err on the side of waiting longer and cutting less compared to starting earlier and doing more in the rate cutting cycle. Our base case is for the rate cutting cycle to start in June with greater risks of a delay until July uh, compared to an earlier start in April. The second topic is on uh, QT and funding markets in Canada. Uh, recently, the Bank of Canada has revived a pre-pandemic liquidity program to auction off part of the government's cash balance, which may help alleviate pressure on Cora. Uh, this could provide up to $25 billion of more stable liquidity with longer tenors compared to ad hoc overnight repo operations. This does mean that the probability of QT ending at the March meeting um, is lower than before, but in our opinion, it does not solve the underlying problem. It is our belief that QT is a fundamental cause of funding market pressures, so providing a liquidity offset is just a band-aid solution. Ending QT sooner rather than later is still advisable from our perspective. Uh, Moving on, uh, last week we heard from Powell along with a strong employment report in the U.S. Uh, So Blake, what's your take and view going forward? Yeah, thanks, Jason. I mean, there is a ton that we could talk about on the U.S. side this week. We had another quarterly refunding announcement from Treasury, the FOMC, then Hal showed up on 60 Minutes on Sunday. Uh, we had the flare-up of some banking fears last week, and also, uh, amongst all that, some very strong data, including NFP, ISM services. And I might also tack on the fact that the Atlanta Fed's GDP tracker was upgraded from 3.0%. 0% to 4.2% uh, last week. But we're largely going to skip over the quarterly refunding and the banking fears. I, I think both are relatively benign. You know, it's a pretty short podcast. But if you want deeper dives on either issue, uh, we did do some analysis on those. So please reach out to your RBC sales contact and we can get that in front of you if you're interested. I'm going to focus a little bit more on the FOMC and PAL in the context of the recent data prints. That includes last week's very strong NMP and also Monday's ISM services print where we saw beats on every component, specifically prices index, which had the largest monthly increase that we've seen since August 2012. You know, starting with FOMC, the the big takeaway was Powell's pushback on a March cut. I think there was still some lingering view coming out of that FOMC meeting that maybe Powell said that accidentally or that, um, you know, some type of mistake. It came late in the press conference during the Q&A portion. 
But anybody who viewed that as accidental, you know, that view was crushed when he basically repeated those comments on Sunday 60 Minutes, saying that it really wasn't their base case. They were going to be in a place where they felt comfortable cutting by that March meeting. Combined with the strong data that I just mentioned with some supply weighing on things Friday and Monday, I saw the largest two-day sell-off in yields. And that's true essentially across the curve since June of 2022. So very big reaction in markets to that. The other big change there was that what we're seeing priced in for the Fed as far as uh, the cutting cycle basically took out 35 basis points of cuts from peak to trough. And you know we really don't know how much that would have been without the renewed banking fears that we mentioned last week, which probably moved a little bit in the other direction. As long-time listeners will know, our base case has long been for five 25 basis point cuts in 24, starting in June, and then quarterly cuts in 2025 until the Fed reaches about a 325, 350 range in 2025. But our confidence in that call, at least you know what happens beyond that first cut in June, is, is definitely starting to wane a bit. And I think it's because the landing really seems to be shaping up even softer than we had envisioned you know, two, three, four months ago when we put that call into our year ahead outlook. I think the risk that the Fed actually does move as slowly as they're telling us, uh, at least if we go by the median SEP dots, or that they stop cutting short of 325, 350 range that we're calling for, and I think it's currently priced in the market, those risks are certainly growing. If you'd asked me a month ago what fair value for 2024 pricing is, I, I probably would have told you that it's for more cuts than the five embedded in a protocol because it incorporates some kind of downside hard landing risk. Now, I think that fair value for 2024, you know, is, is probably closer to four cuts or even three. That's not our call, but it's just that the risks are certainly skewed towards a slower pace of cuts or higher terminal rate. I think that also means that the likelihood of a meaningful steepening around the time of the first cut, you know, which we were forecasting some continued steepening throughout the year, I think that also is, is coming off a bit. To be very clear, I think the Fed still can and will start cutting on slowing inflation alone and that they're going to do so by June. But I think that without that weakness on the other side of the mandate, as long as growth and labor remains strong, the urgency to go every meeting or or to kind of set rates on an autopilot path towards 325, 350 range really may not be there. And I think that's especially true if you believe that neutral rate is higher, which has been uh, a topic we've seen pop up from a few Fed speakers after the uh, FOMC meeting. I think that might have been a topical, you know, neutral rates might have been a, a meaningful topic of conversation at the FOMC meeting. And given how the economy has been performing and continuing to perform with Fed funds rate above those kind of neutral levels for over a year now is, is a very legitimate debate. So I'll leave it there and pass it along. Thanks a lot, Blake. The market is pricing a similar path for the ECB compared to the Fed. So next up is Peter to tell us if this makes sense. I'll try to take it from where Blake left off. He just said that the risks are probably skewed towards maybe later or less, given what the Fed is saying. But what we see and hear from the ECB is almost the opposite. One typically would expect that the Fed to be more nimble and move before the ECB, but in the last ECB meeting, I would suggest that the rhetoric from the ECB has shifted quite meaningfully, um, indicating, or indicating maybe too strong a word, but opening the door for an earlier cut. So how did they do that? Whereas previously, what they have always said is that they need to be, and to paraphrase paraphrase, um, Powell again, be more confident. But one of the things that they have always quoted as um, as key data um, to bolster their confidence is wage data. Um, and the data that they previously had um, or were, were pointing out was always the one that would come out only after the meeting in April. Now, what they've now said is that they have in-house data that they can rely on and that this in-house data is already showing some kind of weakness. And whilst we think it's definitely too early to expect a rate cut at the March meeting, we have changed our call to June as the first cut. It is clearly possible that April 
could be the time when the ECB will start pulling the trigger, which would then probably be um, before most other central banks do so. Now, I would hasten to add that the activity data and the forward-looking activity data, such as survey data, have been coming out decently. They've been coming out slightly stronger. They're indicating that um, the economy, which has not been growing, um, or mostly not been growing at all, is bottoming out. But nevertheless, with inflation having underperformed the ECB's target, and that gives them some cover to do something. Now, just to wrap up, our official call remains now for a June start um, with probably a smaller path to lower rates or a a slower path to lower rates um, than the market is currently pricing. But clearly, the risks have increased that the ECB would start earlier than that June point. And with that, I'll probably leave it and hand it back to you. Okay, excellent insights, Peter. Now over to Cahal on the Bank of England. As Peter um, there just contrasted the ECB with the uh, Federal Reserve, similarly, I think there's kind of an interesting contrast between the ECB and the, um, the Bank of England. Now, heading into the bank's meeting last week, coming after the ECB, the focus was really on how the MPC would evolve its language, evolve its its, its rhetoric at the meeting. Now, in advance, um, our view was they had a kind of relatively difficult communication strategy to um, try to pull off. In the event, they did change the language quite significantly. In particular, the hiking bias that was previously there was dropped in the guidance. And indeed, they actually went further than we thought um, they wouldn't advance. They also dropped the reference to um, bank rate needing to be held sufficiently restrictive for sufficiently long. So kind of reflecting that new rhetoric from the bank, we also changed our Bank of England call, pulling forward uh, where we see um, the first rate cut from the bank um, into August. One major difference between ECB and the bank is that the MPC stopped some way short of the ECB. So while the rhetoric last week, if you will, held out the possibility of rate cuts being the next step for bank policy, the MPC also tempered any idea that those cuts might be in some way imminent. Now, that was despite new forecasts published alongside the meeting, which was showing inflation falling back to target in the middle of this year. Instead, the MPC said they would keep under review how long rates would need to be held restrictive for. So I think kind of the most obvious thing for us is the Bank of England, the MPC, still much more cautious than the ECB. That reflects still elevated measures of domestic inflation that the bank is um, still dealing with. Um, Wage growth and services inflation have come down, but are still at levels at which the MPC can't really feel comfortable with. Both uh, wage growth and services inflation peaked higher in the UK than in the euro area, and are now coming down somewhat more slowly than there. It also reflects the split in the MPC. We now have a three-way split amongst the nine-member committee, one vote for a cut, but still two votes for a rate hike. So whereas the debate in the ECB is more over the timing of the first cut, the MPC is still split as to whether rates need to go up or down. Now, Peter also said that there was no fundamental change in the outlook for the economy behind our change of call, and similar in the case of the um, bank. Indeed, the Bank of England actually revised their forecast for UK growth up. Um, And the other thing I think as well that kind of supports a later start for the bank is the labour market in the UK remains tight. Indeed, just yesterday we had um, new uh, estimates from the um, Office of National Statistics 
which showed the unemployment rate actually falling in the second half of this year. Um, a little bit of a surprise, given the problems we had with the Labour Force survey here since um, July last year. I think overall, bringing forward our Bank of England rate cut in, in, in view of the change rhetoric from the bank, but at the same time, um, we think the data broadly supporting the view that the Bank of England will begin to cut rates later rather than sooner. Thank you very much, Cahal. Last but not least, uh, we're going to hear from Sue Lin on what she thinks about the RBA. Thanks, Jason. It's been a big week for the Reserve Bank Board. It met for the first time this year. It's released an updated set of macro forecasts and its quarterly statement on monetary policy. And the governor did her first press conference. For us, there's been three key takeaways from the raft of communication this week. Firstly, while the cash rate was left unchanged at 4.35, a tightening bias has been retained. The bank notes that a further increase in interest rates cannot be ruled out. It's resisted moving to a clear neutral bias in line with a number of its counterparts. But we think this tightening bias is pretty weak given the downward revisions to its GDP and inflation forecasts and upward revisions to the, their unemployment rate forecasts. Core inflation is now expected to return more comfortably to within target in 2025 and around the midpoint by mid-26. Secondly, despite the revisions, the raft of communication this week was largely around inflation and the outlook. The bank's language is cautious, similar to other central banks. It's encouraged by the progress, but inflation still above target, service sector inflation's elevated, they're worried about inflationary expectations, and there's a long list of uncertainties about the outlook. There's also some new discussion around the output gap and excess demand and a discussion as well about a pretty tight labour market and all of that permeated much of the RBA's language this week. And thirdly, we suspect the mild tightening bias is partly designed to temper market expectations of any near-term cuts to ensure financial conditions remain restrictive and continue to weaken demand. And on that note, the governor's reference to the US Fed being in a different position to the RBA we thought was noteworthy. So all of that communication looks consistent with our base case that the RBA will likely lag the dollar block easing cycle and it'll be a more shallow cycle given that policy settings at 435 are only mildly restrictive and well below the rest of the dollar block. We've put two 25 basis point cuts back into our RBA profile in the fourth quarter of this year, kicking off in November, given the marked shift in the global central banking narrative. But this is well after when we expect cuts from the Fed, Bank of Canada, ECB and Bank of England. We look for another 50 basis points of easing in the first half of next year, taking terminal to 335 by mid-2025. So from a rates perspective, we prefer to look for opportunities to fade market pricing of cuts in the first half of this year and when there's much more than three cuts priced in for 2024. We also think 10-year Aussie yields at near flat to the US is too tight. The RBA is prepared to be more patient than markets expect. Okay, thank you, Sulin. Great stuff. Uh, thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this edition of Macro Minutes. Monetary policy expectations has been the key driver of bond yields and curve shape, and central bank expectations are going to remain uh, fluid this year. So please reach out to your sales representative or us directly for further insights. This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. 
it is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.